0: Welcome to the 201st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Lee Kelly, author of City of Savages. Stay tuned for the interview. This episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast is sponsored by Archer Mayer, New York Times bestselling writer of the Joe Gunther Mystery Series. The 26th Joe Gunther Mystery novel, The Company She Kept, was published last year. The New York Times Book Review wrote Archer Mayer's Vermont Police Procedurals are the best thing going. The critically acclaimed Joe Gunther mystery novels are available at your local bookstore or as ebooks. Find out more about Archer Mayer and the Joe Gunther series at archermayer.com. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Lee Kelly. Kelly's debut novel, City of Savages, has just been published. Lee, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Jeff.
0: Sure. Well, can I have you read a page or two from your new novel, City of Savages?
1: Absolutely. Um, I would love to share, actually. I um, This is actually a little bit further into the novel. Um, I thought it would give you a flavor of kind of the sister dynamics and um, the action. It's, it's sort of a... A family drama meets a near future thriller, and I thought this excerpt um, would give you a little bit of a taste of that. So um, I can just jump in now. Okay, that's chapter 10, and it's from uh, Sky, one of the sisters' point of view. I'm so curious, I'm seeing colors. The candlelit hallway of the Belvedere, no more than the tunnel of an angry kaleidoscope. All I wanted was a tiny shot of adventure, an escape into another world. But like always, Steve took over, and instead of a night of reading Mount's journal on the roof, I'm being restrained by one of the most feared warlords of the park, on my way to appeal to Warden Rolodin. What was Steve thinking, grabbing that torch, bringing the gun? And if we lose that journal, I will never, ever forgive her. Lori thrusts me forward as she pushes open a wide, thick wooden door, and we're once again in the study of Rolodin's chambers, as we were a night ago, begging for mercy. The one thing I'll give you, you've got nerve, Cass snarls into my sister's ear. For once, my stomach doesn't lurch forward, and my mind doesn't clamor into protective mode. I just look away, upset, frustrated. Maybe even a little glad, Cass is giving Fee trouble. She doesn't listen to me. Maybe the Lords can knock some sense into her. Cass, take this one, Lori says, passing me over to Cass. I'll get roll of Cass holds holds my hands behind my back as Lori opens the door to his inner chamber and then retreats into darkness. We're left in the study. I look over her sea and try to figure out if the small handgun is noticeable in the folds of her sweatpants. Thankfully, she never wears anything form-fitting, and the thick cotton reveals nothing. I look up and meet her gaze, and I can tell she's trying to carefully wiggle one of her hands spray from Darren's breast to sign something to me. Her eyes are wide and determined, and she has that crazy look in her eyes she sometimes gets when she's about to hatch a less than fully formed plan. I don't know what she's thinking, but I quickly and slightly shake my head. No, you've done enough and bullies open the door to her study, Lori in tow, before he can respond. Did I hear this right? Roldan demands, thrusting her wide features into mine. Breaking out during lockdown, she moves like a cat on the hunt, is on speed before I can blink. Drinking on the roof? Tell me, do you think I give orders as suggestions that I'm open to their interpretation? Do not leave your rooms. What is so fucking hard to understand? She looks like she's about to strike feet, and every ounce of ill will I wish my sister over the past few minutes washes away. I battle against Kat's grip to break free, The Roland's already diverted her, her anger, pounding her old wooden desk in frustration. Crumpled papers and folders jump in surprise and fall to the tabletop and surrender. What the hell am I supposed to do with this information? Rolden runs her hands through her flattered color hair. What no no choice in the Lori take them away. Lori waves Cass and Darren to move back the way the came. This is it. Mom, forgive us.
0: Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel, City of Savages, yet, how would you describe the novel?
1: I know I kind of just jumped into that. That's actually about 20% into the novel. Um, I guess I, I, how I build it in my head is um, part near-future thriller. Uh, it, it takes place in a, a prisoner of war camp in Manhattan, um so the island has t- sort of been converted into this prisoner of war camp after the third war, uh, World War. Um, and it's the story of two sisters and their mother. So there's this Kesey um, family element to the story as well. Um, and there's also kind of this um, past element to the story where you get the backstory of how the war went down. Um, so there's this interplay of the present action of the two sisters and then the past story. Um, of their of their mother that's kind of weaved in um, through the present action through the mother's journal so um, several voices in the novel the two sisters as well as the mothers through the pages of, of her um, of her journal
0: great well do you remember the initial idea that led you to to writing city of savages
1: <laughs> um, people ask me that and and the answer makes me sound um, a little bit nuts actually because <laughs> I um, I had just moved back from the first of all, to, to the short answer to your question, is it was the setting, uh, the idea of Manhattan as this, this prison.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and sort of the longer answer to that is um, I had just moved back, it was a few years ago actually, I had just moved back from LA. I was working as a lawyer and I had transferred from the LA office to the New York office. And working as a lawyer out in LA was obviously difficult, long days. Um, there was something about the, the tone and the pace of the New York office that just felt like such a rude awakening to me. <laughs> um, and I know I, I don't know if you know anything about law firms in New York, but it's it's just a very different lifestyle. Um, it's like fourteen-hour right? days. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I think if your heart is one hundred and ten percent in it, it's one thing. Um, but my. I found out very quickly that mine, that I didn't withstand the 15-hour days. Um, you know, my heart wasn't in it that much, put it that way. So um, I just sort of was happy. And um, I think I needed an outlet. And I think as I was there at like 2 a.m. In, in that skyscraper looking over, you know, Times Square and getting a little glimpse of Central Park, I just started daydreaming and thinking about um, a Central Park that maybe was a prison. Um, you know, a very ruthless and cutthroat city um, kind of people that were being persecuted. <laughs> you kind of see where this is going. Yeah. I, I think I, I needed an outlet. Um, and slowly but surely, uh, this idea of a prisoner of war camp in Manhattan started to take place. Uh, so the setting definitely came first, and then I'm one of three sisters, and the sisterhood relationship is just so important to me. It's, it's one of the fundamental relationships of my life, and it it very quickly became about um, a pair of sisters in this world and how, what if one sister actually felt like a place like this could be home and another, you know, hated it and despised it and couldn't wait to get off the island. And again, that they also sort of represented my warring ideas about New York, how fun it can be and how wonderful it can be and also how very imprisoning it can be. Um, It kind of started off as a metaphor and then went from there.
0: (laughs) Sure. Well, well, had you written fiction before then? I mean, was did you have a background in in writing any fiction, or was this just a, a new venture for you?
1: Um, you know, I it's, there's sort of two answers to that question. I um, since I was six years old, I was one of those kids that was like entering poetry contests and writing, um, you know, books about random things that, like, six or seven years old, and telling everybody I was going to be published in the local newspaper. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, I didn't, the older that I got, it sort of fell by the wayside. And Mm -hmm. even though it it was kind of a persistent spark, um, personally and secretively, I I kind of forfeited that, I think, um, to kind of pursue the, the legal career and I would dabble in it, but it was nothing, um, consistent. Uh, at least until I graduated law school and I started studying for the bar. And like I said, my heart was never a hundred percent into the, the legal world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just said to myself, I want to spend, I want to spend a little bit of time with this. I want this to be a, a true, a true hobby. If it can't be a calling, I want it to be, I want it to be something that's part of my life. And so I just started writing an hour every morning after I took the bar and, from there, I wrote like this weird convoluted kind of autobiographical dream saga. I, I, I can't even <laughs> put it in a drawer. It will never come out of that drawer. Um And then I I, I moved to New York and, and started City of Savages.
0: Gotcha. And and how did you manage with your 15-hour days to write?
1: It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, when, when I was in LA and I was working on that, that kind of whatever you want to call it, the, the dream journal sort of thing, which just got me momentum in writing. Um, it was a lot easier because the hours were intense, but not overwhelming. Um, once I moved to New York, it was just, I just remember jotting, um, you know, ideas on a notepad as I ate my lunch in, um, Bryant Park was like the closest park to, to my office. Um. And it was more outlining, I think, when I first moved back. And then I actually got a job at a smaller firm, and I was a lot happier. Um, and I was able to kind of gain more traction on actually writing versus just like one or two quick lines of, of dialogue or writing on the subway or in the park. Um, so it really started to congeal when I, when I did transfer for jobs.
0: Gotcha. Um, so I'm curious, did your background in entertainment law help you at all in your path to publication and getting City of Savages published?
1: You no, know, it's funny. I, I think because I kind of came up the ranks thinking that writing was something that was um, you know, not practical, which is is totally, you know, I I don't know why I kind of came to that that um conclusion, but I think just because I was pursuing this this legal career and thinking, well, this isn't going to happen for me. I, I kept my secret aspirations and love of writing, um, secret, uh, and kind of to myself, I, um, I I didn't really merge the two worlds at all. I I actually, um, Lee Kelly is a pen name. Um, it's actually my nickname, my family's nickname. So I, I sort of had my, my full name as I was practicing law on this, you know, was using Lee Kelly as like this, secret venture that I was so excited about, um, after hours, um, or before hours rather. Um, so it didn't, my, my, my background in entertainment didn't really come into play at all until I found my agent, which I found just cold call, flush pile style. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I, when I got my contract and also when I got the publishing contract, it's, it was just nice to have, I I think, all of that legalese and, and the 20-page contract can be so overwhelming, and just because I had seen enough of them, I was like, oh, half of this contract is boilerplate, yeah. and it's, it's not anything to worry about. Um, okay, it, it, it sort of feels counterintuitive, but um, you almost worry less because you've seen it more, if that right. makes sense. Right, right. Um,
0: so so, that's so what, of how
1: it came into play.
0: What was the path to publication like once you finished a draft or or um, of City of Savages in terms of finding the agent?
1: Oh sure. Um I'm trying to remember back to, um, to that time period. So I, I, I came over to the to the smaller firm um and it took me about once I, I really sat down and started writing, it took me about a year to, to do the, the first draft, to write the first draft and nano. Remo helped enormously because I ended up finishing half the draft during that November um it was crazy sloppy, but it was that was my first time trying that and I don't know if you've ever tried that or if you're a fan of that um uh, November venture, but i just sure. i think it's phenomenal it's such a cool thing um and so that was my that was my first time jumping in so I had this very messy draft in November I probably spent six months really trying to um at beta readers and I had I had taken a writing class at Media Bistro and I had had I teamed up with these other writers uh, who are phenomenal and so supportive and we were swapping pages and long story short around April I thought okay this might be ready to go and I really just cold called I mean or cold emailed mm-hmm. I um I put together a list of agents I thought were looking for and that this book is published as an adult novel, but this is a whole different conversation, but I, I, it was sold as a young adult novel and through revisions, um, we kind of brought out that, that adult subplot into the book. So it's sort of this weird hybrid, but, um, anyway, I, I looked up agents that I thought wanted sort of this dark, gritty, um, young adult fiction, um, and there was it's this wonderful site out there called Literary Rambles in terms of giving you just background on agents and who's looking for what and who's looking for middle grade and young adult. It's it's sort of all in the, the children, the kid lit space. And I just put together a list of fifteen names and and um individualized the letters based on what I thought they were looking for and um sent out a first batch and a second batch and I was um thrilled when Adrian Ranta of Wolf Literary came back to me, I was actually on vacation and said, um, I love this and, and let's do it. Um, and that call, I remember like jumping up and down. <laughs> um, it, it was such a, it's, it's just a surreal, amazing phone call that you um, you just never forget. Um, and so Adrian took on the manuscript and um, after, the, we didn't do a ton of um a ton of changes to it, but we did roll it out a couple months later um, and we ended up teaming, teaming up with Novel Wolf uh, at Simon & Schuster, who at the time actually was um, part of Books for Young Readers. So she had, had purchased a young adult manuscript, but she was sort of moving over to Saga Press, which um, I, I don't know if you've heard uh, too much about Saga Press. It's, it's Simon & Schuster's new speculative fiction imprint, and City of Savages is the first book in this long line of um, of amazing books that they have teed up, I I, I feel so humbled to be on the list of some of these names. It's, I don't know if you've read the list, like Genevieve Valentine, Ken Liu, and these award-winning um, science fiction and fantasy authors. It's, it's surreal.
0: That's great. Um,
1: but any, yeah, oh, it's it's so cool. Um, but she, she, so she was moving over there, and she said, "Hey, I really like this journal aspect of the book, um, but in a young adult novel, we probably have to scale it back a bit." And I'd like to give it more life. And so because of this new crossover imprint, they're going after young adults and adults, we were able to do that. And I, I do really like the result, uh, which I never would have sued if, if not for this imprint. So it's kind of cool. Everything just seemed to align um, in terms of, of making this book what it is.
0: That's great. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, no, that's 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 great. Well, well given your success in getting City of Savages published and, and obviously, you know, the the writing and uh what what advice would you have for aspiring writers who may be listening? You
1: know, I um I well first of all I think reading is as important as writing, and I mentioned that. I know a lot of people mentioned that, but I refused to believe it at the beginning. I just felt like, especially when you're working those hours, um, mm-hmm. the people out there that were, are, were working or are working like I was, um, you just, you're just you like, I have an hour, so it makes more sense to, to put use that hour to put words on paper than it does to read somebody else's words. And it really wasn't until I started Reading what I was trying to write, at least the market and, and the genre that I, I, the words started to flow a lot easier, and I started to like think about what I wanted out of a story, and um, you know, what wasn't out there or what really resonated with me. I I just don't think you can do that when you're writing in a box. Um, and then my second piece of advice, I guess, would be when you're at that point or you've poured your heart and soul into something and somebody tells you that it's not on-trend, which is very much what happened to me. Um, I, I didn't mention this when you were asking me about my past t- t- publication, but I got involved in this wonderful um, organization called SCBWI. It's, it's like a kid-lit kind of mecca where um, they put on conferences, annual conferences across the country and team people up um, in terms of critique partners and that sort of thing. And um, some people there were so supportive of uh, the idea, and then other um, you know editors you, you might meet are like you know what dystopian, which I guess you could put this book in into that category is dead. It's just there's there's too much out there. Mm-hmm. This book will not sell. Put it in a drawer and work on something else. I like the writing style, but it's it, this this is not your this is not your book. Um, and I know there are probably a ton of people out there that are hearing that about whatever they're writing. I, I don't know what that you know, death metal is right now, whether it's still dystopia or whether it's sci-fi or it, there's always going to be a trend. And I think there's always going to be um, a majority or minority of people out there that say this isn't going to work right now. And I just, I, I don't 100% believe that. Um, and there's of course truth to it, but I feel like if you, if there's something special about your story and you know it, cater your pitches, cater your, your query letters to, to what, to what's special, to what made you want to sit down and write it. Um, and I think there's always a chance. So anyway, that that would be my two big pieces of advice, I guess.
0: That's great. Well, well, what is the writing process like for you? Did, did you plot city of savages extensively or do you write more organically?
1: Um, it's funny that, that, crazy dream saga book I was talking about before was totally organically and that just didn't work. So I thought I would. um, And also because I was daydreaming so much about the setting, there was a lot of um, pre-work, I guess, that came before I was able to sit down and start writing it. So um, I had really plotted it out. I remember having like an 8 to 10-page, you know, double-spaced, I guess you would call it a synopsis of what I wanted to happen with the story. But once I started writing, and I stay pretty true to it, I think through maybe like a, a quarter, a third. And then I think it just, the story just wants to go somewhere where you don't maybe see it going. At least that's what seems to happen with me. It happened with my second book, too. It's just you can have all the ideas in the world, but once you, you start to let the characters walk around and make choices, they might not go where you want them to go. Um, and so I would say I am a plotter that allows the characters to take the wheel, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and so that—that's sort of what I've been finding. It just, and just there's also a comfort to it. If, if you know, for the plotters out there, I find it very comforting to sit down and know where I think I'm going to go, um, versus like, hey, let's you know, let's just do this. <laughs> like that, that's just not my style as a person. Um, so I, I think um, plotting is. Pro- I, I lean more towards the plotting end of the spectrum. Got so. um, In in terms of process, um, I um, I guess it just depends if I'm in that first draft crazy stage where you're just patting yourself on the back if you get, you know, 1,500 words a day or whether you're in revisions where you might change a couple words but you feel like you came away from it with this amazing, you know, idea for a new direction. So um, it just depends on where I am in the process. But um, sometimes my favorite part of the process is that crazy first draft where you're just kind of, it doesn't matter. You know you can go back. You're just letting yourself kind of go nuts.
0: Right, right. Well, well you mentioned your second novel. Um, can you talk about that at all?
1: Sure. No, thanks for asking about it. It's um, it's slated for next year, for, for 2016 with Saga Press, um, and it's, it's a standalone. Uh, it's not related to City of Savages. Right now we're calling it a criminal magic, um, and I think it's very different, actually. It's... Um, magical realism sort of this historical fantasy and it takes place in an alternative um, prohibition era uh prohibition era America um, but instead of alcohol magic has been prohibited
0: so um
1: <laughs> yeah, it's this sort of it's this um so board, boardwalk
0: empire with wizards
1: you got it, exactly. I, I'm billing it as I don't have you seen the show Peaky Blinders, which I'm obsessed with. I love that show. Um I, seen I,
0: I, I've seen it in my queue but I haven't watched it yet.
1: Oh my god, I so I I love that show. Um <laughs> in my head I'm I'm billing this as Peaky Blinders meets the night circus. Um, so it's it's sort of this cat and mouse between um this undercover prohibition agent who and this up and coming sorcerer and sort of how they both get involved in this magic underground.
0: Gotcha. So, um, go, uh, going back to what you talked about earlier in terms of reading, I'm curious if there are any books that you've read in the last year or two that really um, are top of mind that you would recommend. Oh, cool.
1: Um, there are definitely, um, in that just because we've been talking about young adult in the young adult space, um, there was a, a book called Charm and Strange by Stephanie Kuhn. Um, it totally took me by surprise. It's one of those genre bending. You're not quite sure um, the direction the book is going to go. Super powerful voice, and I absolutely loved it. I know there's like a ton of fans of We Were Liars out there, and I. it has sort of a, a similar tone, but a very different narrator um, and very different ending. So I, I totally recommend that. Um In terms of um, books I'm, like, thrilled about reading, I I can't wait to read um, Girl on the Train, which I feel like everybody is talking about right now. Um, And then in terms of books that haven't come out yet but are are slated for for later this year, if that's okay to talk about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, one of the benefits of of being buddies with some of these debut authors is you get to read their stuff before it it hits. Um, And um, there's this book called The Witch Hunter by... uh, Virginia Baker, which is about like an alternative 15th century um, England where um, uh, the Switch Hunter has to team up with this wizard and it's just so much fun. That's out in June. Um, and then um, my friend Kim leggett has a book called Blood and Salt, which i you're probably sensing a theme here. I love those books that kind of bend genres and you're not quite sure exactly what you're getting. It's super dark and romantic and seductive and it's kind of horror meets romance. I've never read anything like it and that's out in November and I am super excited for that book. Um, is, is that like a good witness? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that sounds like a, a great cool list. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten to read a lot of cool books here, which is, I'm, I'm very grateful for.
0: That's great. Well, if someone is interested in learning more about you and City of Savages, where can they find you online?
1: Well, thanks, Jeff. Um, my website is um, newrightcity.com. dot com. It's all one word, um, and then I'm on Twitter and try and be as active as I can be without spending all day on there. Obviously, <laughs> it's, um, it's at Lee Y Kelly. All one word, um, and I think the writing and reading community on Twitter is just phenomenal. There's it's just very very active. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to be kind of a part of that
0: too. Great. Well, again, I've been speaking with Lee Kelly. Her novel, City of Savages, has just been published and is available in bookstores now. So grab a copy or get the ebook. And Lee, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Oh, Jeff, thanks so much for the opportunity. Great to talk to you. Great. You know how to book flights and hotels.